Good evening. This is Quintus Curtius, and this is the fifth lecture in our series on Cicero's Stoic Paradoxes. This lecture is brought to you courtesy of Fortress of the Mind Publications, and this lecture series is a discussion of my translation of Cicero's book, Stoic Paradoxes, which can be found on my website, qcurtius.com, in the tab under Books. And that'll take you to the link directly to Amazon, where you can find the book. Now, before we get into the details of this lecture, the fifth lecture, I want to just say a few introductory words. Uh, those listeners who have followed with us bravely and stoically for the first four lectures will understand that this stuff is not easy, okay? If you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed or if you're feeling a little bit confused or uh, bewildered, by the fact that some of these concepts are hard to grasp, you're not alone. Okay? Don't feel bad. That's the way philosophy is. You never really get it on the first time around. And that's why it's so important to dive in and to expose yourself to these ideas and these doctrines from a variety of sources and inputs. You have the written form, you have the book, which you can get either by you can get the electronic, the Kindle version, or you can get the paperback version. Both of them are available on Amazon. And also, by listening to these lectures, you'll be able to receive input from a different way. And it's through this repetition, it's through this repeated exposure to these ideas, that these concepts will gradually begin to sink in. Because, as I said, some of them are just difficult to grasp. And we have to really discipline our minds and expose our minds to ways of thinking and ways of reasoning that maybe we haven't done before. So endurance, endurance guys, endurance is the key here. So I said in one of my earlier tweets about these lectures that if you follow with me to the remainder of this lecture series, and there's only going to be a few of them left, we're almost done, you will have a better grasp of Stoicism, you will have a better understanding of Stoicism as a doctrine than almost any college professor you'll ever meet. And I really mean that. What we're doing here, what we're going through here, has not been done before. No one is doing this. No one is actually breaking down these concepts in a step-by-step -step rigorous way and doing this. Stoic Paradoxes is, as I have said, the closest thing we have to a handbook and a manual on Stoicism. There's nothing else. There are many other Stoic writers, but their works are voluminous. And to really get a grasp and a comprehension of the whole, you have to read through a lot of material. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think you should do that. But Stoic Paradoxes is the best introduction to Stoicism, I believe, is out there. So that having been said, let us now dive into Paradox 3 of Cicero's Stoic Paradoxes. And this paradox is entitled, Misdeeds are equal and good deeds are equal. Okay, Misdeeds are equal and good deeds are equal. What, what that means is sins are all equal and right actions are also equal. This is probably one of the most controversial and oft contended principles of Stoic ethics. This idea that Right actions are equal to, that both sins and right actions have equal equivalence. 
And we'll see what Cicero means by that as we go through Paradox 3. Now, the, the two points that I want you to get out of this paradox, out of this section number three, and in, in the book, it's the, hard, the, uh, the paperback, it's page 55. There are two points that I want you to get out of this. Point number one is this. A sin or, or a transgression remains a transgression regardless if it is large or small. Okay, one cannot minimize a bad action by claiming it was a small one. Okay, that's point number one. Point number two is, if all sins are equal, then all virtues must also be equal. All right, so if you can get those two points out of this, you're going to be doing very well here and getting ahead of the game. All right, the text of Paradox 3, again, it's in the form of an argument. Cicero here is making an argument. You can almost imagine him arguing before a, a, uh, a jury panel here, the way he's phrased his arguments here. Now, a wrongdoing, the first point that he makes here in this paradox is that a wrongdoing is a wrongdoing. Something that's wrong, something that is sin, is a sin regardless of whether it's large or small. And he draws the analogy with the captain of a vessel. He says, a captain may cause a ship with a cargo of gold or chaff to run aground. Gold being very expensive, chaff being, uh, you know, grain, a husk, uh, to run aground. But the difference is trifling. What matters is the ineptitude of the captain. So what he means by this is, it doesn't matter whether a ship is carrying a cargo of gold or whether it's carrying a cargo of chaff, of, of something of very little value. If the ship runs aground, if the captain causes it to run aground or capsize, the captain is still inept. Okay, And this is something that he starts out with right from the beginning. His point is, once we cross certain lines, once we have transgressed, the offense is complete. Once we have transgressed, the offense is complete. Now you may think, well, this seems a little bit of this seems a little bit extreme, but there are analogies here to the criminal law. Those who have been trained in the criminal law know that an offense is certain types of offenses are complete just upon the completion of the elements of that offense. For example, a theft is complete upon the asportation of that object. If someone steals something, if someone wants to shoplift something, it doesn't matter whether they grab that item and transport it two feet or whether they transport it two miles. Once they take possession, once there's an asportation of that, um, of that item which is being stolen, then the offense is complete. Same thing with the criminal, uh, criminal offense of conspiracy. Okay, Once at common law, once there is agreement to commit a wrongful act, the offense is complete upon the agreement. And later on, there was a condition that was added for, for a substantial step to be taken in furtherance of that agreement. But the point is the same, that once certain lines are crossed, it doesn't matter how much farther beyond that line you go. No one, he says, is permitted to sin. What is forbidden, he says, is not permitted to be endorsed or argued for. So, that is the starting point that Cicero makes in Paradox 3. And then what he does after this is he draws the analogy. He says, if uh, since virtues are equal to each other, in other words, every virtue has equal weight, 
it should follow that vices are also equal to each other. Again, what he means by this, if we were to draw up a list of virtues, all of them, in Cicero's view, have equal validity. They're all equal to each other in goodness and importance. And uh, it follows from that, it seems to him, that vices should also be equal to each other. Okay. Now, in support of, his, in support of this, he says the following. And I'm reading from section 21 here in the treatise. He says, and virtues are indeed equal. It can easily be seen that no one can be better than a good man, nor more temperate than a temperate man, nor more upright than an upright man. He says, do you call him a good man who returns 10 pounds of gold to you when he, would, when he could have with impunity enriched himself with it? if he did not do the same thing with 10,000 pounds of gold? Or do you call a man temperate, who contains himself in one type of indulgence, but who loses himself in another? And this is a good point. Do we call a man temperate, who happens to control his appetites in one context, but is then completely profligate and unable to control his, uh, his appetites in another context? No, we don't. And this is precisely his point. If good deeds are things done rightly, and nothing is more right than a right thing, then it is certain that nothing is better than the good. Again, this is a critical point to be made. I'll, I'll state that again. I'll read it again. If good deeds are things done rightly, and nothing is more right than a right thing, it is certain that nothing is better than the good. It follows then that vices are equal, if indeed vices are held to be defects of the mind. And because virtues are equal, good deeds, when they proceed from virtues, ought to be equal. In the same way, it is necessary that wrongdoings, because they flow from vices, are equal. And this is a profound point, I think. And again, this is taken directly from section 22 of the treatise, Stoic Paradoxes. And if you look at my text, I follow the standard uh, convention in numbering the sections here, which scholars impose. If you go through, if you have the Kindle edition, you can go through the, the number to see number 22, and you can see it right there. And if you have the paperback version, you can also see it there. They're in the small bracketed numbers in the text. Unified virtue, he says, is in accordance with reason and with perpetual constancy. Okay, the Latin word here is constantia. And this was an important virtue to Cicero. He talks about this in many of his other treatises, uh, the idea of constancy, the idea of consistency and consistent application of virtue and good deeds over time will shape us and mold us into being better men. Now, this theory runs into a little bit of a problem later on in the section here in, 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 uh, in Paradox 3. And this is really where Cicero talks about the crime of murder. You know, and he uses a very interesting historical example during the siege of uh, Saguntum in Spain, which inaugurated the Second Punic War. Um, the inhabitants held out for some time against Hannibal, and the city eventually fell. And during the siege and the aftermath, there were there were sons who killed their own parents rather, rather to rather 
than, than rather than let them fall into the hands of the Carthaginians. And Cicero contrasts that apparently righteous killing with the idea of killing a slave. You know, basically he's wondering, well, is there any is there any circumstances under which a murder might be considered a good deed? Or are there any circumstances under which the killing of a slave might be considered an evil deed? And he said he doesn't really reach a definitive answer on this, but he does say that thus, uh, he says, um, to rob one's father of this life is a crime in itself. The inhabitants of Saguntum who preferred that their own parents die as free men rather than live as slaves committed parricide. Thus, in theory, it is possible that a parent can be deprived of life without a crime being committed, and at the same time, a servant can be deprived of life without a wrongdoing be committed. And so, therefore, the reasons for the action, and not the nature of the action, is the distinguishing thing. And here Cicero says a very good quote, which I think we should keep in mind. He says, the motive attaches to that for which it has a propensity. The motive attaches to that for which it has a propensity. If the motive is linked to both actions equally, he says, it is necessary that they should be considered equal to each other. Again, if the motive is linked to both actions equally, it is necessary that they should be considered equal to each other. But there is this difference. In the killing of a servant, if it is seen as a wrongdoing, one has sinned only once. But many sins are committed in violating the life of one's father. He who produced us is violated. He who nurtured us, educated us, who placed us in hearth, home, and society. The harming of one's father is at the forefront of moral, moral wrongs and is worthy of the severest punishment. But in life, we ought not to ponder what punishment is worthy of a moral failing, but how much wrongdoing a person may commit. Whatever should not be a crime, one may not think of as a crime. So, Cicero here gives a very lawyerly and nuanced answer to this complication from his proposition that both good deeds and bad deeds are equal. There seem to there so, there does seem to be some inconsistency in his in his reasoning there, but he glosses over it with the traditional Roman respect for the patriarchal structure, and he says basically, well, maybe under certain circumstances. It's justified, it's the intent that matters, it's the logic behind it, but we should not really seek out such opportunities to do such extreme acts because they are considered crimes almost on the face of themselves. He says, once this perturbation in reason and order has been committed, is it not true that nothing can be added to make the sin seem any greater? And so again, he leaves us with the idea that once a sin has been committed, it is, it is done. The act is complete. The sin is complete. So even though this may seem to be an extreme doctrine, it may seem to be rather harsh, I think it's important to understand the purpose behind it. We almost have to believe that. We almost have to hold that to be true because if we allow for degrees and gradations of sinning, Pretty soon, people will take it upon themselves to decide whether something is a little sin, a medium-sized sin, or a big sin. So it makes more sense, and it seems to be seems to be more logical and consistent 
to ban any type, any type of sin at all and not let the individual person be the judge of how far he has transgressed. But we should take heart also in this because we know that the converse is also true. We should know that the converse is also true and that all virtues are equal. And if one possesses virtue, if one possesses one of the virtues, it may be just as easy to acquire some of the others. If this is true, that all virtues are equal, which Cicero thinks and holds that they are. This concludes our fifth lecture on Stoic Paradoxes. If you enjoyed this lecture or my previous lecture, I would ask you to go to uh, iTunes and review this lecture in the comments and reviews so that it can be more widely heard. This lecture was brought to you courtesy of Fortress of the Mind Publications. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.